Great. My name is Herb. <clears throat> I'm an alcoholic. Welcome. Welcome to our big book approach to the step four inventory, specifically the resentment inventory, specifically column three and column four. We're taking a very narrow, laser-focused, and very deep analytical approach based on my knowledge and my experience of the big book and an interpretation, which my step guide called an expanded column three and an expanded column four. True to the big book interpretation, oh, excuse me, the, the, the letter, but giving uh, a lot more juice to the spirit of it. Um, please, uh, uh, you're on all on mute. Please join me in the serenity prayer just to get ourselves a little warmed up and focused. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. <clears throat> So today we're going to do a deep dive, experiential, deep dive. It's a workshop. Um, you're here. I'm not sure what your motives are. Why are you here? But my hope for you is that you do some work, personal work. It'll feel a little bit like a class at some times, but it's really an opportunity for you personally to deal with the areas of your own disturbance. The work here in column three, column four, I attribute to the beginning of my spiritual awakening. I didn't know it at the time, 1988. As Melissa indicated, I got sober in 1984, a story, again, for a different day. Um, and I got a sponsor, and I went to meetings, and I read the book, and I worked the steps on my own. I didn't get any help, and therefore, I didn't get any change because I didn't know what I was doing, and I couldn't read the big book. As simple as the English language is in the big book, I could read it. I just couldn't understand it. I could read it. I just couldn't apply it. I didn't know that I didn't know. I thought I was like a good AA member, going to book studies and step studies and participating, blah, 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 blah. But I didn't change. I didn't know that I didn't change because I didn't know that change was necessary. And then um, I engaged a man to help me. Like, I'm here to help you today. That's my total goal, is to help you understand, to clarify, perhaps to have an experience <clears throat> with the third and fourth column. I didn't know I was having an experience with it until down the road when I finished the step work and I looked back over my shoulder and I saw, oh, wow, I've really changed. Even though I was having some experiences during the time I was doing the column three and column four work, I, didn't, I wasn't aware that I was having the experience. I was so enmeshed in the experience. 
I'm saying that because this may be your experience today. You just sort of hunker down and you listen and you do a little bit of work. And if you're courageous enough, you'll do some dialogue here because I'm very encouraging some Q&A throughout and we'll have some formal periods for it. And it may be that tomorrow or next week or next month that you'll be aware that you had an experience with the work that you do today. So don't necessarily expect the aha moment, the curtain parting moment to happen today, although it's highly likely it will. No matter how much work you've done up till now, especially if you've never been exposed to me and the work that you're going to be exposed to today. I look forward to the journey with you. But because you have some information <clears throat> and you've had some experience in doing step four, that's just a confirmation of step four from the big book page um, 59, made us searching and fearless. Now notice I've capitalized moral it's not capitalized in the big book, but I wanted to draw your attention to it. Because some people approach step four from a negative standpoint that it is a list of our immorality. And that's just not true. That's why Bill used the term moral. And you look it up in a dictionary and it means values an inventory of our values, we do that by looking at our resentment and our fears and our dishonesty and our sexual inappropriate behavior so that we in fact contrast that with our values because in fact we have these negative behaviors and feelings and thoughts which are going against our values. I didn't know I had values. I didn't know I had principles. I didn't know that I needed principles that I didn't have until I did the searching and fearless inventory. Einstein said the consciousness that created the problem cannot be the consciousness that solves the problem. If my problem is me and my mind and my perception and my interpretation of reality, if that's my problem, I cannot address the problem with that same defective mind. I need a new consciousness. That's what this man said to me. Herb, look at my hands. You have a lot of information, but you have no transformation. You have a lot of academic knowledge, but it's never been filtered through your heart, through your experience, to your feet. You have not changed. Four years sober with all the information, with all the diligence, with all the goodwill and intention that you have. You think you're a Renaissance man. You're actually a Neanderthal. Now, he wasn't being disrespectful. He was telling me the truth, willing to hurt my feelings so that maybe I'd be willing to 
set aside my old information and my old experience up to that point and have an ability to be open to new information and a new experience. And that's the point of this prayer. <clears throat> he called it the set aside prayer. It's not a prayer so I set it aside because I'm powerless to do that. It's a prayer for spiritual intervention, whatever it is you believe about God or higher power or spirit or energy or nature, life force, life source, whatever it is you believe. I'm assuming that you've had some exposure and experience with steps two and three and that you have something that you believe in that is available to you as a power that will, in fact, heal you. That's the whole point of steps two and three. But you choose that. I'll use the traditional word God here in this prayer. But it's a prayer to bring the divine healer, the divine surgeon, bring your sharp scalpel to remove the cancer from my soul. I can't. I'm willing to be changed. You hear that? My willingness is my responsibility. A willingness to be open to the intervention of a power other than myself. Not, not necessarily outside myself, but a power other than myself, perhaps as the big book suggests, deep down inside of me. It is not me, but it is available to me. I'm inviting, I'm inviting spiritual intervention. I'm inviting spiritual surgery. I'm inviting spiritual healing. And I'm going to cooperate with the work that we're going to do today. My role, my willingness, my effort. Please join me. God, please set aside everything that I think I know about myself, my unmanageability, my previous step four resentment work, and you. For an open mind and a new experience with myself, my unmanageability, my previous step four resentment work, and especially you. So I hope you have a piece of paper and a pencil, a pen, or if you're doing it electronically, uh, that's available to you. Those of you who have skills with the technology. Because I'm inviting you now in the milieu of that prayer, in the environment of that prayer, in, in the willingness to have your knowledge and your experience set aside. I'm asking you, I'm inviting you to reflect. Where are you currently disturbed? Not yesterday, today, right here as you sit here. I'm using that term very thoughtfully and specifically because of step 10. Many of you have done step four work. Many of you do not have actual gross resentment. Some of you just have disturbances. That's the word in the 10th step. 
in the 12 and 12. Whenever I'm disturbed, it says it's a spiritual axiom. Whenever I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. If you have any resistance to that, you probably haven't done a step four out of the big book. More about that as we progress over this next. I plan on being with you here for th about three hours. I hope you stay. I'll stay as long as you're engaged in what we're doing here, whether it's longer than the three hours or not. <clears throat> what are my current disturbances? People. Circumstances. You hear mouthed in meetings, people, places, and things. Please pay attention to your words. Places and things has no meaning. Circumstances, events, those have meaning. People, circumstances, events. Those can disturb me because of my perception of them. What are my current disturbances today? Irritations and annoyances. Irritations and annoyances. What are the sources of this suffering? Notice I didn't ask, what is the suffering? The suffering is the smoke. The source is underneath. The source is the fire. Bill talks about in the 12 and 12, instincts gone awry. It's wonderful. I mean, he wasn't. Uh, educated man, I mean, in the truest, broadest sense. So he had lots of information. He took a law course and got a law degree. He never mm, passed a bar or anything. But so he had some, he was brilliant. I mean, very bright and, and had some information from his own experience. <clears throat> but he didn't know much about biology or psychology in a formal sense. He had wonderful intuitions about both. Instincts gone awry, fight, flight, and freeze. Those are the sources of our suffering. Instincts for survival, instincts for safety, instincts for satisfaction, instincts for our social needs. I'm using words very precisely. Body, mind, emotions our spiritual needs. Do you actually have resentments? Well, what is a resentment? The word comes from the Latin sentire, S-E-N-T-I-R-E, which means to feel. Now, it's about feeling of anger, but it is a feeling. And re, R-E, in front of sentire, just means that it's repetitive. Re means again. I feel the anger again and again. All of you know that I do weekly and regular periodic workshops. <clears throat> and uh, regularly, I hear from people who are 
30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, 60 years old, 70 years old, 80 years old about their resentments toward their mother and father. Resentments that are 10 years old or 30 years old or 50 years old. And the perpetrators, the mother and father, are long since dead. And the and individuals, you may be one of them, still has a fire in their belly about the mistreatment, physical or mental or emotional or financial or whatever it was. And the mistreatment and abuse is true. You were betrayed and you were abused. It is true. But it's ancient history. Why are we still holding it? Resentments from current and or past partners or significant others. The same comments. Even if it was yesterday or last week, quite frankly, by anybody's standards, it's ancient history. Resentment for me is a reaction of anger that's held, and I don't know what the time frame is, but I would suggest longer than 24 hours. That's, that's not in any documents. That's just my wet finger in the wind appraisal. Anger is it's a normal instinct. Fight, flight, and freeze for our safety, for our survival. Normal, healthy, nothing wrong with that. But if, if the anger turns into resentment, then it's a cancer in our soul. If the fear turns into anxiety, then there's cancer in the soul. If the hiding camouflage uh, <clears throat> freeze uh, 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 response uh, lasts longer than a day, that shame, that's the feeling as I've named it, of the freeze instinct is the cancer of the soul. I'm talking about unhealthy shame. We're focused on resentments, but I'm giving you the bigger picture of the full scope of the step four inventory. Are you willing to change? Are you open to change? Are you willing to be opened? by the spirit, that divine surgeon. Yeah, you will not control it. And in fact, control is a delusion anyway. What's your invitation today? Let's stay right here in the present, not for yesterday, not for tomorrow, but right now, here today, for these next few moments that we're together, moments by anybody's definition. <clears throat> You see, these resentments are the bondage. Bill uses that term, the bondage of self. There's pathetic Herbie. Four years sober, thinking he's a Renaissance man, and, and he's completely out of touch with his reality. And he's blaming his, me, me, this is true, blaming his father, 12 years dead at that point, 1988. He's blaming his wife. He's blaming his bosses. He's blaming the institutions that he's attempted to get education from. And, and by his standards, they failed him. 
four years sober, going to a meeting every day, calling a sponsor every day, going to book studies and step studies. And I don't know that I don't know, except that I'm a victim. Bill says we walk through a spiritual arch. So I've, I've put it into actually a form here. He doesn't tell us that the arch's foundation is step one, but he assumes it. Step one being complete defeat. He assumes it because the, in step two, he says step two is the cornerstone. So I can build this arch that he gives us the initial components of by reading between the lines. Step two is my willingness, page 47. And he says it's the cornerstone, that first stone placed on the foundation that sets the direction of the entire arch. And step three, he says, is the, on, I think it's on page 60, between 60 and 63, someplace in there. He says it's the keystone, that is the stone in the arch that holds the entire arch together, that decision to turn. A commitment. That decision to turn, that's a commitment expressed in prayer and in public witness of prayer, because he says we pray it with somebody else. There's no action in step three. Step three is not surrender. Surrender is not in the big book. Notice in foundation, step one is complete defeat. Surrender would belong there. Step three is not passive. It's a ferocious act of my will to decide to turn, to commit to being turned by doing steps four through nine. Step three is not an action except the prayer, but it's a commitment to action. What's the action? Step four, to do resentments. That's the first out of the box. It's, and Bill spends the most time giving us instructions on how to unpack our resentments so that we not only understand them, but we also have an experience of naming them and talking about them and analyzing them to get from the smoke to the fire, from the consequences to the source. And some of that will help diminish and or even remove the resentments by naming it and talking about it and writing about it. But then he says, and in the final analysis, just look at page... Um, Sixty-six. We'll look at it more deeply as we go into it today. But he says, essentially, we're as powerless over removing our resentments as we are over dealing with our addiction. No, no, he says it. I'm paraphrasing. I'll, I'll give you the exact words on page 66, halfway through our time today. We're as powerless over our resentment as we are over our addiction, having no power at all. 
And I've come now from my experience of each of the steps and my knowledge of each of the steps and my interpretation of each of the steps to see that that applies to each of the steps. Certainly step one, I'm powerless. That's the whole point. And if you want to have a new experience, find a new word because powerless is so oft repeated by ourselves and other people that we become brain dead to it. My favorite phrase as a synonym for powerless is no choice. It doesn't get any more black and white. I do not have a choice over whether I drink or not, whether I stop or not, whether I stay stopped or not. I have no choice. That's the whole point of the first half of the first step. But then, if you've been exposed to me at all, you've heard my interpretation of, because of the people that helped me with the step work, of unmanageability, dash. The dash is not an end. I'm as powerless over my unmanageability as I am over alcohol. Read page 62, the end of that second paragraph. That's what Bill says. Our self-centeredness, which is the fire underneath the problems of unmanageability, is selfishness and self-centeredness. And then he says, and I'm quoting, we can't even reduce it much by wishing or trying on our own power. Spend some time with that. We can't even reduce our unmanageability, our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power, even working the steps, even praying. I'm as powerless over my unmanageability as I am over my addiction, having no power at all. And that's where he introduces us to step three, a power. Step three being a decision for a relationship with that power. The whole point of the step process is power. To become empowered. Well, we also look at fear. Not today, but at some point you will if you've done the fourth step or if you're doing the fourth step or if you want to do the fourth step, you'll have to take a look at the flight instinct translated into the emotion of fear and unpack that and take a look also at that third component of step four the sex inventory and you'll note from the nine questions on page 69 that there's no question there about sex in the sense of genital sex, although the subject is genital sex, there's no question in those nine questions. It's all about our motive. It's all about our impact on others. It's all about our violation of our own principles. Question number nine, what should I have done instead? These, this fourth step changed my life, 1988, four years sober. I happened to take then, uh, because I had really good guidance, experienced wisdom people that were guiding me on the path, I looked at dishonesty and secrets, a commentary for another day. 
and I finished my fifth step, and I found freedom. That's the whole point of walking through the spiritual arch. Read the promises on page 75. The promises of the fifth step, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. What an image, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe as we go through the arch to freedom. Freedom from our addiction. I'm spending some time on this because step four is a, is a, is a soul crusher. The Oxford group called it soul surgery. It's not a walk in the tulips. It's hard work and it's embarrassing. So we need to keep the motive in front of us. What motive coming from the Latin movere? What moves us? What will draw us through? It's either the hot poker of suffering, the stick, or the magnetic draw of freedom, the carrot. Either one will work. Combination of both is most effective. I want to escape my suffering, but I also want to be living in the light. That's freedom. Notice pathetic Herbie still in jail of his own making, but at the end of the fourth step, especially at the end of the fifth step, I realized that I was the one that was holding the bars in front of my face. There's no wall, there's no ceiling, there's no floor. Those bars are not connected to anything except my two hands. I'm a victim of herb. Circumstances and people no longer held me in bondage. I was able to drop the bars. One of the authors that Hazelton has published the book was called Drop the Rock for steps six and seven. Exactly. But here's an image that I really enjoy because it communicates the purpose of the fourth step. Bill says ego deflation at depth. We all have genetics that comes from our biology and our family tree. Notice the image here is of the Russian doll. You've seen them, they're called nesting dolls. A Russian lady in one of my workshops told me that the word is matrushka, describing these dolls encapsulated in each other. I just put at the top of the PowerPoint, this is my story. I was born and then I was born into a family culture. It may be a normal family culture, meaning father and mother, or it may be adopted, or it may be whatever your culture was that was the family that supported you to survive your early childhood. That begins to create the story. Notice that the image doesn't change. The doll's face, the persona, the mask stays the same. But underneath that, there's some dynamics that are very unique to you. My story. It continues with your emotions outside of your family. It continues with the information that you get outside of your family. 
and it all covers up your true self. That's, that's uh, the psychologists talk about that today, based on uh, their science, as well as if you look at organized religion, the Buddhists have a wonderful approach to the true self and the false self. But that's the whole point of the step four process, is to remove the Hollywood stage front of the masks, the persona. So Bill asks us to make a list. I asked you at the beginning to note one or two or three areas of resentment or anger or disturbance or annoyance. Who annoys you? Who disturbs you? And what are the reasons? Those are columns one and column two on page 65 in the big book. Very straightforward. Bob was my coworker. You've heard me talk about Bob, who tried to get me fired. I was there 20 years and he had organized a posse to get me fired. Bob and he tried to get me fired. It's really straightforward. But column three is about my beliefs. I didn't know that until this man helped me. It's not a checkbox. Bill doesn't give us any definitions of the words he uses on page 64 and 65. He just gives us the words, self-esteem and pride, etc. We'll be looking at those specifically. The man who took me through the work gave me a definition and how to apply it. At the end of it, I saw it was about my beliefs, those areas of should. That's a short circuit way, a very effective way of coming to understand what your beliefs are. When you say life should, I should, you should, we should, they should. Every one of those is revealing to you possibly a belief that you have. And that those are the lenses through which we look. Like I'm looking through my glasses right now. They've been ground to be 2020 vision. On without my glasses, I would have some distorted view of what I'm looking at. But I wouldn't know that I have a distorted view if I've never had a clear view. I had a distorted view of reality. I had a distorted view of myself. I had a distorted view of you because I had never had clear lenses through which to look. And column three began to grind my lenses through which I look. See, the, 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 the catch-22 here is I'm looking through the lenses that are distorted. I'm looking through the lenses at life and trying to unpack it and I'm looking through distorted lenses so I'm condemned to never unpack it. I need to look through the lens at the lens so that I can begin to understand the distortions and begin to 
have those distortions changed by regrinding the lenses or getting, as Chuck C would say at the title of his book, a new pair of glasses. That final piece I call column four. It's not on page 65. There are three columns there, although they're not named columns. They, that's the graphic look of it. They look like they're in columns. So I call them columns one, two, and three on page 65. The second paragraph on page 67 is the final paragraph that gives us the final instructions on completing the resentment inventory. <clears throat> In there, it uses my role, my fault, where am I to blame? Those, some of those words I don't like, so I put down, where am I responsible? for generating my resentment. I'm not responsible for my drunken father. I'm not responsible for my father's abuse of me. Uh, uh, emotional and verbal, there was never physical abuse. <clears throat> but I am responsible today for my reaction to yesterday. I hope you hear that. That's not subtle. What happened yesterday is true. Um, yesterday meaning 40, 50, 60 years ago, or a week ago, or, or 24 hours ago. I'm not responsible for what people do, and I'm not responsible for its impact on me. Please be clear on that but I am responsible for my reaction to it. What a distinction that is. It's not subtle once you experience it. <clears throat> so let's take a look at column three, self-esteem. The man who took me through the steps said, self-esteem is about who you are, who you believe you are. Notice that's the word at the top, belief. Who do I believe I am? This is not about low self-esteem or high self-esteem. He said, put yourself on a stage. This is a, a very wonderful, effective technique for breaking the code of having the curtain part so that I can see the truth and that is put myself on a stage with the person with whom I have a resentment. I'm on a stage with Bob, my coworker, who's trying to get me fired. Who am I? Well, my belief about who I am here at age 48, four years sober, and I'm 20 years in this work and I've had this relation, not this work, uh, my, my, my career work. And I, I have this relationship with this man who's also a, um, a senior vice president like I am. He's been with the company 20 years like I am, but he doesn't like me. And uh, the background's not important. I'm on the stage with Bob. And I see myself as a very competent employee making a wonderful contribution historically to the company. And in fact, I'm the best salesman that they have. 
That's my self-esteem, my evaluation, my belief about who I am. Because I completely disregard my 17 years of drinking of those 20 years and all the chaos that caused. I can, because now I'm sober three years, I haven't changed, but I don't know that I haven't changed and I don't know that change is necessary. I just have this false perception, this delusion about who I am. And that's who I am on a stage with Bob. And I resent his looking at me and he looks down at me and he thinks I'm inadequate, incompetent, and need to, I'm a cancer in the organization and they need to fire me. Well, you can see where there's a conflict. I'm the best employee that they have. And he says, I'm the worst employee that they have. Now, I'm not saying he's a healthy and, and he has an accurate perception, not, not one bit at all, but this is the conflict because I, I am holding this belief about who I am. Bill uses the term pride. He doesn't give us a definition for it. So this man who took me through the steps gives me a definition. On a stage, I'm standing there looking at Bob, but there's an audience in the, in the theater. See the drama, the theater, this is Bill's, uh, one of his models and metaphors that he uses throughout the book. How do my coworkers view all of this? How do I want my coworkers to see Bob treating me? It sounds a little complicated, it's not. Put yourself in the audience, you're looking at Bob, you're looking at me, and how do I on the stage want you to see Bob treating me ideally? Well, I want them to see Bob treating me with respect. And this man said to me, is that all you want? Stretch it, Herb, be outrageous. Go way beyond common vocabulary and even civilized expectations. What do, you, what do you really want the audience to see Bob treating you? Well, respect, sure, but how about obedience? How about obeisance? How about that when he walks into a room where I'm at, he steps back and bows his head in respect and maybe even bows his body in respect. And he's overwhelmed in the grandiosity and the elegance of who I am, honored to be in my very presence. I stretched it. I was uncomfortable stretching until I looked at it and I go, yeah, no, that's really what I would like. And this man said, well, you have a little king down inside of you, don't you, Herb? First time I'd ever had it. I'm not the Renaissance man. I'm a Neanderthal. I hadn't those quotes yet, but I would eventually as a result of doing the balance of the work. How do I want the audience? How do I want the audience to see Bob treating me? Ideally by me, by my standards. You know, it's no accident that Bill in the lead up to the third step says, we have to quit playing God. And that's what we're doing. Oh, we probably don't name it that way. We wouldn't be that grandiose, most of us. But when you come right down to it, we're trying to control. 
We're trying to control other people. We're trying to control circumstances. We're even trying to control ourselves. We're the center of our life, yes, but we also want to be and believe we are at some point the center of life itself. We have a script. Bill writes it, pages 60 to 62. If you haven't read those pages, 60 to 62, and made it personal, meaning yourself, read it out loud, making it personal and present tense, pages 60 to 62, I mean, it will be very embarrassing but very revealing because it's all about manipulation. I'll be nice to you if in fact you cooperate, but if you don't and I really have some energy about it, I'll be mean to you. That's what he says, that manipulation. Because I want what I want when I want it and how I want it and how often I want it. A lot of times we're not conscious of any of that. It's just the way we're operating because we're asleep, dreaming that we're awake. A line that was given to me by a philosopher, a Russian philosopher. He said, most human beings are asleep, dreaming that they're awake. 48 years old, four years sober, I'm asleep. I don't know that I don't know. I can't see that I don't see. What about life? Life should. Life should. I have a script. I don't know that I have a script. But I have in my head the model of what a father is, a model of what a husband is, a model of what a wife is, a model of what a woman is, a model of how things should be. And it's all BS delusional. It's not real. That whole level of emotional sobriety that most of you know that I'm involved in for the last three to five years with Dr. Berger is about seeing reality as reality is, not as I want it to be. Reality just is. As one of my workshop participants said, in a moment of ecstasy because of a breakthrough realization, Herb, Herb, Reality is not personal. It just is. Oh my God, I hope every one of us can have that experience and hold that experience. Reality just is. Don't take it personally. All right. So there's a worksheet in the way of life document. Oh, I'll show it to you here. Um, I'm not going to go through it because it would take too long. Uh, and I don't want it to be, but I want to help you um, with that. So that's the worksheet that's in the way of life document. I take these seven words from the way of uh, from the big book uh, uh, in the matrix on page 65. Um, they're in a different order, but self-esteem, I've talked about. What is my deep belief about who I am? And then the prompter is I am. It's never negative because it's not about psychological self-esteem, low or high self-esteem. It's about what do I believe? Here I'm on the stage with whatever, mother, father, partner, employer, whatever the um, opportunity is. 
And then Bill gives us uh, uh, up uh, next to each one of those words. He, he puts fear next to some of them. This man suggested that I ask, what do I fear next to each one of them? I, I, I want Bob to treat me like I'm the king and he's the servant. What's my fear is he'll see through my projection of who I am and disrespect me. That was the first crack in my armor when I asked the fear question, because it began to reveal to me underneath that my grandiosity was in fact a cover for my low self-esteem. Pride. How do I want other people to see me and what's my fear? Ambition, what do I want? It's very straightforward. And I wanted to be promoted to run the LA office. I was one of three candidates that was being considered. My fear is I wouldn't get the job. It's very straightforward. It's not very analytical. Self-esteem and pride are very analytical. It's, it, it challenges us in ways that perhaps we've not been challenged before to take a look at ourselves and our belief about ourselves. Security number four is different than ambition. Ambition is what do I want? Security is what do I need? I want power, ambition, but I need not to be evaluated. I want to be the boss because I don't want local accountability. I don't want anybody looking over my shoulder. I'm afraid they'll see what I'm unwilling to see even in myself. Personal relations. What is my model about bosses in the workplace? The next item is entitled sex, but this man said, because there's a third component in step four that is actually about genital sex, and it's a one-third of the step four inventory, perhaps this question under the resentment evaluation is not about sex itself. I mean, this is an interpretation. It's about gender. What are my beliefs about men? What are my beliefs about women? What are my beliefs about fathers? What are my beliefs about sons? What are my beliefs about bosses? Oh, how about male bosses versus female bosses? I discovered 1988 that I had some prejudice that I didn't realize I had about women in the workplace. You see, the, the prompter there is a real or ideal or model man or a real or ideal or model woman. See, I have these templates in my head that I don't know that I have. I've acquired them either from my family or from my training or from my character deficiencies. Wherever they have come from, I've got templates in my head about life, about people, about myself. And they're normally very delusional and warped. Pocketbook is about money, of course, unless it's not. 
in this case, it was with the workplace. It was about money, but it was also about power. It was also about me getting what I wanted. Nobody should get in my way. My fear is everybody's getting in my way. The bondage of self again. Uh, we're going to stop here, and I'm going to, add, uh, well, stop in terms of my teaching on it and ask you to ask your, any questions that you might have on it. And I would like to help you unpack something that perhaps you're stalled out on or you have a question about or you have some confusion of. I'd love to confirm and or clarify whatever you are thinking about the approach to this work. And if you are willing to go through maybe the template that I have that's been shown on the PowerPoint or you might have it in the Way of Life document. Um, that's uh, page 23 in the Way of Life document, which is on my website. Um, ha happy to help in whatever way we have, and we'll have some discussion about that for, for probably about 15 minutes. And uh, at the very least, you'll have a taste of this approach, and at the very most, you might have an experience with it. I heard. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I have two questions. Um, the first one is you talked about stretching it and do you yeah. want us to stretch it all the way down? So not uh, only the self-esteem. No, you know, uh, it wasn't my experience to stretch it. The, the self-esteem and the pride are like, thank you for asking the question because I, it expands the approach. And that is self-esteem and pride are like the flip sides of the coin. Uh -huh. Self-esteem is how I see myself. Mm -hmm. Pride is how I want you to see me. Uh -huh. But we're all looking at me. Yeah. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. it's the same, it's the same coin, just two different sides. And once I, I get that clear, uh -huh. then each of the other things sort of cascades down from that. Uh -huh. So the stretch really needs to come. I do believe it was helpful to me in the self-esteem, especially but also in the pride and, and nothing is uh, unreasonable. Okay. Yeah. Just like be as uh, outrageous uh -huh. <laughs> uh, as you, your, your courage allows you to be. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I like that. That's helped in the past too. Yeah. And then I get, I always get stuck on, it really helps when you said never negative, but when you, right. when you say, what is my deep belief about who I am, who I am, it tends to go towards the negative. But, but that's the psychological self. <laughs> okay. And, and here's my classic example of that. If, um, if I, if I were to say, I believe that I'm worthless. In fact, I'm lower than whale shit is what I've heard in a meeting. And it's kind of like, oh, that's gross, but it's literally very a uh, picture. Uh, <clears throat> and you treated me like whale shit. Then I would say you're particularly astute in your perceptions. Okay. That but I don't react that way. I, I have an anger toward you for treating me this way, which means I don't believe it at all. Okay. But I don't know what I believe. I don't know that I have this core here belief about myself that I don't deserve that. 
because mm -hmm. there's a psychology or an emotion that's been layered over by our family or by our early childhood experiences that has smothered me into the sort of the consciousness that in fact I'm worthless. Right. But underneath the underneath the underneath, I'm rebellious. That's why I have the anger. Okay. We would be at peace if they were treating us exactly how we believed we should be. Bam. Got it. Okay. Say it Great. again, please. But say it again, please, because that's very clear. We would be oh, we would be at peace if, if we were being treated the way we believed we should be treated. That's yeah. right. And the very fact that we're not at peace, that we're disturbed, means that we don't accept okay. this. Okay. We have this healthy instinct in us at the very core of our reality. That's why uh, that final phase of the deflation in the Russian dolls was the manifestation of the true self. We, we pull away all these masks that have been layered on us by society and our family and, and ourselves, uh -huh. all right? And, and, and we discover, oh, one of my teachers calls it the core of goodness. Yeah. yeah. The fact that we haven't been standing up for ourselves, so to speak, is that where, where the spiritual malady is? is? Um, exactly. Okay. If I if I'm emotionally predetermined of low self-esteem, that's my perception of myself, uh -huh. then in fact I'm I'm going to be reluctant to confront people who treat me that way. But my anger tells me that there's something in me. Yeah that doesn't believe the truth of this or the appropriateness of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. I, once I'll just say once, once in the past, you said, going back to my first question about stretching it, you said, I want people in the room to stand up. When I come in the room, I want everyone to stand up and say, Oh, great. Herb's here. Right. Like that's always really helped me. Um, yeah write these out because yeah. that's stretching it, but that's exactly how you, I would feel too. At the yeah. yeah. Well, no, it, and, and I'll elaborate. Thank you for giving me back <laughs> some of my memory. You know, I, in my, in my fantasy, if I walk into a room, I want not only for them to stand up, uh -huh. I want them to catch their breath. <gasps> He's here. Mm -hmm. And then when I walk in the room, I want the men to bow and the women to curtsy. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you've heard me talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Like, oh my God, I was so embarrassed, but that was in fact down deep in me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah. Okay, thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah, hey, Herb, I've got a question. It's, it's the very same question that was just asked, the second one, but where it's a little bit different twist is when I do resentment on myself. Oh, good, good, good. Excellent. I have a really hard time on that. Okay. Yeah. It, it's the most difficult one to do because we're subjective and we can't be objective about the subject because I'm the subject. So we need to get some skill, some competency in doing the worksheet on other people first. Once we have some traction, some experience with unpacking on other people, then it makes it a little easier for us to unpack it on ourselves.
but it's a very, um, and Bill acknowledges that. He said on page 66, and so we had uh, some uh, regret or remorse, and then we were sore at ourselves. So it's, I, I believe it's very legitimate for the people who literally have some resentment toward themselves and their own history to do this third and fourth column on themselves to kind of like get, the, get a sense of what the truth is. What's the balance here? Scrape away all the emotion and all the experiences and underneath the underneath the underneath. What, where does this anger toward myself come from? And, and, then, and then once you identify the diagnosis, then in fact, you can have the remedy for it. Um, I'm gonna stop. I'm just saying it's very legitimate. It's very helpful. It's very difficult. <laughs> so when, my, my experience of when I'm doing it is um, because, you know, what do I believe? And I was putting down some negative things. I really was, is that? Of course. It, Okay but, okay. but but it's but it's but let me just say this: okay. it's never negative, never negative. Now, when it's negative, what you're revealing to yourself is your psychological and or emotional self-esteem, low self-esteem, and that needs to be dealt with in therapy and or in some other way. But it's not your belief; otherwise, you wouldn't have the anger. So try, and, and so for people who have that logjam of low self-esteem, and it almost makes it impossible to try to get to the, the truth of it, is I just say, really like force yourself not to be negative in terms of your belief, but try to understand. And, and Thank you for asking this question because it's now it's going to reveal something that I hadn't talked about, which is a really nice technique and tool. The man said, if you can't get to self-esteem, circumvent it by going to the pride. How do I want other people to see me? And that might reveal the positive aspects of it. And then I can go and just name that as my belief. How do I want other people to see me? I want them to see me as fitting in. I want them to see me as uh, competent. I want them to see me as um, likable, lovable. Oh, underneath that, maybe, maybe, just maybe, I'm likable. Maybe I'm lovable. Maybe I'm okay. Maybe I'm confident. Because I want other people to see that. Maybe it's true. So then we start beginning to explore that. Oh, I've been labored, la layered, layered over with all these emotions. So I can't actually even see the truth. Does that make sense, Cheryl? I'm so glad that you asked the question in the way you did. Yeah, it does. Thank you very much, Herb. Yeah, yeah. Anybody who thinks that this is easy, it is not. Anybody who thinks it's uh, too difficult, it is not. There is a, a place where you can navigate it, but you need an experienced person who has themselves broken the code to assist you along the line so that the, uh, 
can kind of confirm and clarify and, and help based on their experience for you to navigate it and have your own experience. Yeah. So, so while we were there in treatment, we talked about step four in great depth, mm -hmm. um, but I didn't get to do it with my team there. So I'm home now. I'm home for eight months, and I did not want to stop start step four because of this fear of I don't want to know these darker things about myself. Okay, that's it's kind of like saying, "Gosh, I have this kind of spot on my lung, but I really don't want to know that it's cancer." Yep. Okay, you don't have to, but it's going to metastasize and kill you, whether you know it or not. Okay, so, so now I'm working with my therapist here, um, and he's very um, experienced in this. He has his own story, but as we're doing it, it's not feeling like we're going to this degree of depth. I, I believe that, yeah. Yeah, it feels more like I'm filling out the worksheets. I get it 100%. So, so what would you recommend... Yeah. I do to make this the, the experience it's sounding like today it could be. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Wonderful question. And continue work with your therapist. I'm sure that's going to be very productive, especially if you then get some supplemental help yeah. from somebody who's in a 12-step program who themselves has experience with these worksheets as I've laid them out. They're not my worksheets. They have come from the people who brought me through the steps and they've been fine-tuned by the people in the workshops over the last 25 years. So, but, but you need somebody who's going to be experienced and help guide you through it in addition to what you're receiving from your therapist. And then you bring that to your therapist and it will, it will be very productive. Okay. I, I've, had, I've had... Uh, maybe four or eight someplace in there, both psychiatrists and psychologists ask me permission to use my worksheets in their personal therapy work. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. I'm in between. Because, it's because it goes deeper. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm in between sponsors. Um, yes. I had the best sponsor and she got hired by guest house. So now there's, <laughs> you know, it's a good way to lose a sponsor, but, well, but why did you lose her? Well, because it becomes a conflict of interest because I'm still in continuing care. Oh, there. I got it now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if I, as I'm finding a new sponsor, um, wow. how quickly do I want us to jump into this with someone new? Well, how quickly do you want to be free? Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's your answer. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, be, and because of the time difference, if you're in a three hour time difference, I'll cut you some slack on tomorrow. Otherwise, if you were in my time zone, I'd say this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Well, why would you wait? If, if in fact there's a resource that's going to help remove the cancer before it metastasizes, why would you wait? I think it's a fear and a safety thing. I want to know the sponsor better before oh, I, I start. No, I, from a personal standpoint, I absolutely agree. And you do have a responsibility to interview them and get a sense of, number one, that they know what they're doing. Yeah. And number two, that you can trust them. Okay. Oh, yeah. 
No, I, I agree with that. I'm, I'm not saying make a decision today or tomorrow. Yeah. But I am saying begin the pursuit of looking for somebody to connect to. Got it. Uh, All yeah. right. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. And <laughs> well, I'm glad that work was helpful. That's great. Oh, my gosh. It was incredible. Well, that's why I spend my life doing this. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, my God. I mean, I've uncovered the secret. Yeah. Why yeah. would I put it? Why would I not put it on a mountaintop? Yeah, exactly. You know, I went there hoping to get my life back. But yeah. what I got was getting a life I never imagined. It's so much better. I left the monastery after seven years because I didn't find what I was looking for. Uh, I'm in AA dealing with addiction four years and I discover what I was looking for. I mean, go figure. <laughs> Who would ever have guessed? Well, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. It's, um, so I had this interchange with this person uh, and she accused me of something that she say this. So you have a resentment. So I have a resentment. What's the resentment? What's the resentment? Wait, I just want to finish this. That no, I, I'm not looking. I'm not looking for the story. All I'm right. gonna make it short. I'm gonna make it short. Is that that it's somebody told me that sometimes when you're really angry, it's because it's true, and you so you couldn't face that truth yet. Sometimes. I didn't know if I should say anything. I'm not really sure. I just. Um, but you do have a resentment. It's it, it's a disturbance. Mm -hmm. All right. So who yeah. are you in this relationship with this person? You're on a stage with them. Okay. Who are, I, who are I, you? I thought I was a treasured sponsor for years. You a know, treasured like, sponsor. Lovely. Wonderful. And what's your fear? What fear comes up when you say, I'm the treasured sponsor? That I'm the worst person in the world. And, and it could be black and white like that. Absolutely. Explore the extremes. I agree. Explore the extremes. Okay. So if, in fact, people were watching you in, in your group, unbeknownst to you, they were watching you have this interaction with your sponsee, I'm assuming, uh, how would you want them, ideally, to see this sponsee treating you? I would hope they would see through it and, and see that um, something was going on for her and she was kind of blaming everything on me. Um, but I would be also not wanting them to turn how they think about me into now I'm in a, a, a much worse category. Well, you would want them to see you as I'm an outstanding sponsor and she's just a mischievous sponsee who is delusional and having her own tantrum. That's how you would want them to see it. All right. What's your ambition? What, what do you want in that interaction? I guess I wanted to go back to being treasured. <laughs> Yes, I, I want her to respect me at the very least and treasure me at the very most. Yeah. And what do you need and why? Well, need. Need. 
I guess it is it respect. I don't know. It's is that wrong? Um, okay. I I I need um, I, I need my sponsees to look at me with admiration. I don't know. I'm making it up. Does that work? Uh, no, it doesn't. Okay. Yeah. What, do you, what do you need from your sponsees generally in terms of your own? I mean, I guess if I generalize this in general, it mm -hmm. could happen to any relationship. You like it when they love you and they really appreciate you. And then suddenly you've gone down yeah. to the bottom floor and you're like, oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. I want their love and appreciation. That's okay. what I need. No, no, no. And why do you need their love and appreciation? I guess I've enjoyed that. I felt good when I had All right. And, and when you talk like this, what's your fear underneath? That I'm really not worthy. There you go. There you go. That's beginning to open it up. All right. And um, let's see, where should I go from here? Kind of related to the personal relations. What about uh, gender? Do you have, uh, what's your belief about women sponsees belief about women sponsees i don't know that again i guess keep going back to that they appreciate you that they, they right. like being led all right let's let's flip it what's your vision of the ideal woman sponsor how do you measure yourself against this template what is the template I'm kind of at a loss. For no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. Oh, okay. Well, let's see. <laughs> ideal sponsor. Okay. I guess ideally I'd be hearing my higher power and my higher power would be communicating through me to my sponsee and my sponsee would be getting the guidance that she needed and would be helping her move forward in her recovery. An ideal sponsor is very effective and has an authentic and vital, vibrant relationship with a higher power. And when I say it that way, what's your fear? I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm shortening out. <laughs> okay. All right. No, no. You're well. You're on the spot, and you know it. And it's kind of like, yeah. You. It's kind of like you get shut down after a bit. Yeah. And that's what we do in prayer. Um, we look at this stuff and we challenge ourselves, and then we work with somebody who can help us be a sounding board for it so that we can kind of sort it out. Yeah. So um, now I'm going to back up just a, a little bit on where we started and now where we're at. So what's your experience with this dialogue and these questions and your introspection on it? What's your experience with this right now? Well, this is pretty new. This format that you're. Yeah. Oh, it's very new. Mm -hmm. So I don't. I don't have much experience with the way you're doing it. I, oh no, I understand that, but you didn't hear my question. I said, okay. "What's what's your experience right now?" I know you don't have oh, well, experience. That's powerful, and that it, yeah, it's it's getting down to some uh, painful nerves. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. Excellent. Anything else you want to share? No, thank you. Yeah, thank you. thanks. No, no. But this is, um, and it's a process. It took me three different efforts with this man who introduced me to this process 
three different times I had to go back to him. The first time I got it about 50%, the second time about 75%. And the third time he said, okay, now go, you check with me once a week so that you stay clear and you don't get sort of off track, but you, you've both basically broken the code. So this is not a, but it's so worth it because uh, somebody was talking about their therapist. I was in therapy. I've been in therapy off and on for a long time and never once did I ever have the depth penetration? Um, my own interpretation is penetrating the unconscious in the way that this work does, uh, that surfaces underneath the underneath stuff that I was never conscious of. I, I would, all the therapy in the world never led me to the grandiosity that I had that was a cover for my low self-esteem. Now I knew that combination and that connection because of the therapy helped me then process what I was experiencing in sort of psychological terms so that I could really understand it from that standpoint. But I had the experience first. You know, I, I, I relate to the grandiosity, the, uh, you know, the feeling that you want people to bow down before you. And, um, you know, I have that fantasy <laughs> for sure. Um, and I want to be recognized and I want people just to love me, everybody. <clears throat> and um, so, you know, that's part of my grandiosity for <clears throat> the cover up for the low self-esteem that comes along with it. Um, you know, I'm just putting myself out here um, because uh, I, every time I do these four steps, um, I, I find that my resentments kind of surface in small ways. Um, and I notice my annoyances, um, you know, with the grocery clerk at the store. And um, I'm, I don't know, if it's just, I'm just more aware of it, or if it's because, I think probably it's because I'm in this process. But um, the main reason why I'm talking now is because I, um, I uh, am making my list. And I, you know, I plan on taking probably, hopefully a very serious dive for the first time in a long time um, on this. And um, one of the people that I, that I did a lot of therapy on over, over the years, and I did a couple four steps on was my mother. Yeah, um, yeah. And she was the center of the universe in our house and everybody was, meant to please her to please her needs and nobody else's needs ever mattered so I did a lot of work on that and then I was making my list and I was writing down some of the resentments I had on certain people and I realized that I haven't completed that work on her and she passed away last august um well but whether or not she's around is irrelevant because the feeling that you have 
is the only relevant thing. Yeah. Um, what, I, what I'm seeing is, what I'm starting to see is that, um, that I, I thought I forgave her, and I think I have, but also what I'm seeing with my resentment is the pattern, the pattern of um, when you have these disconnections or this, this dysfunction with certain people, that it's what I learned, it, it's learned behavior. Absolutely. And that's what this process is, is relearning and reframing. Yeah. And I've, and I've been aware of it over and over again, but um, I usually, a lot of, sometimes I don't notice it with certain people until I get into a lot of pain. Normally, normally that's why people do hard work is that they are suffering. Yeah. 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 So that's the thing that is bringing me to this. I'm realizing that um, I've been having running into um, situations big or small, the bigger they are, the more the pain it is with um, certain individuals, but the work um, I, I think I need to put my mother on the list again. You think? Oh, you think? <laughs> <laughs> because she's tired. But my grandiosity tells me I want to be, um, you know, it sounds like certain people get free of whatever issue they have with their parent and they don't have to deal with it anymore. Well, here, here's, here's un, underneath, I think, what your not saying is I feel like I should have in fact dealt effectively with my feelings for my mother and I don't want to be disloyal to my mother and all of it's in a mix but I have this overriding sense that I need to do some work on my mother and that overriding sense is in fact your invitation exactly exactly right and and uh and then there's these relationships with my, my brothers on the list, and it's all connected because... Well, and one of my teachers, and you've heard me yeah. say it, says, what we do any one place, we do yeah. every place. Your yeah. mother set the standard in a very gross and large way, and the pattern is merely a cookie-cutter replication of your relationship with your mother. It's- Exactly. And I'm, I, I, I sort of know it, but this you do, work, you do, you do, yeah, you I do, because yeah. I've done a lot of work on it. Yeah. But this work will, br- I know in my gut, if I go through the process, which I'm going to do, I made the decision that I'll see more clearly and I'll get to a place of peace quicker. Yeah. So, yeah. First, first we have to name it and experience it. Um, we're going to take a little break here in a minute, and uh, well, after a couple more people, and um, and then I'm going to talk about a very effective tool in the big book, in between column three and column four, for getting rid of these deep resentments. A prayer practice that completely eliminated these deep resentments, and they've never returned. Wow. I look forward forward to this journey. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, wow is really the only <laughs> appropriate expression. It's kind of like, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can feel something. Yeah. Yeah, I can't explain it, but thank you. You will be able to explain it after you experience it fully. This morning I watched on YouTube my 45-year-old son having a lots of fun. He is uh, recovered from drugs and alcohol 10 years. I broke out in tears of joy for him. And I felt the resentment that I missed all oh, his addictive years. Yeah. A mother having fun. Yeah. Then I conclude I'm still grieving. Yeah. Then I listen to all of this you're presenting. Yeah. Is there a difference between the grieving process and the resentment healing process? Yeah. Um, the answer is yes. And yet they're a parallel process. The Resentment unpacking is a specific process dealing with the emotion of anger, but many people in the workshop have used the column three, column four, and done different words other than resentment. They've unpacked sadness. They've unpacked grief. They've unpacked depression. They've unpacked regret using different words, but using the dynamic of the process because the process is essentially the same. The grieving process is a particularly, uh, uh, it's, all, it's a quantified process that you could see in um, the, group, the Grief Recovery Handbook. A group of people put together that process and it would be uh, helpful to you to expose yourself to that information. But I'm, I'm so happy with your question because it, mm, in a creative way, expands the use of this third and fourth column from just the resentment to any other uh, human emotion that we might have. Yeah. Very helpful. Thank you. Well, I think it will be helpful. At the same time, you might, may need some experience guide to help translate it. All right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Now, that's a wonderful question. Thank you for it. Uh, this has been wonderful, uh, really wonderful. And I still have, unfortunately, a resentment against my dad, who is yeah. hanging on. He's 98. Yeah. I've done this work with you in person in Silver Spring. Oh, yeah. I, I did it in my, I've forgiven him maybe like five years ago, way better. And I was pretty cool. In the last five years, I've just kind of been like furious. And, um, and I just worked on this in the fall. I did the, you know, the third and fourth column, my AWOL about it. And I feel like, you know, I need to address him directly. And I just did this with my therapist. I just went through like, what do I really want to say to him? But it's really not about him. I know that there's some things I still need to say to him. But what I need to do is to heal this. And, and you, were, you just mentioned something about that, but, but it's all about how I feel. You know, I know it's all about me. It's not about him. I get it, you know. And what is hard too, is that you've got this sort of, um, when somebody's an abuser, they're often, um, they have this magic that they do with people. They're very, um, 
what do you call it? Like uh, they have a spell. They cast spells on people. That's what I call it. What, where you know he's charming. He's you know, and he's an old guy who dresses nice still, like not not fancy nice, but nice. And people really respect him. Like he has all these um, couple men who come as sons, bring him communion at home, and whatever. And he just everybody thinks he's the greatest guy. And he's you know he's he's him. You know he's he's. He's a, he's a, he's a predator. He's a sexual abuser. He's an alcoholic. He's a high functioning alcoholic and he's really nasty to m- in many ways, you know? Um, but anyway, long story, but he's, he goes to church all the time and now he's at church. Oh. On, anyway, it's me. It's like, I got to change. And I know that I don't help that much with my dad anymore. And, you know, I, I help my sister who takes care of him but I don't help him directly that much except for some meals, which is really more for her. So it's really hard. And I, I mean, I talk to him almost every day or every other day he calls me or I call him, but I just, you know, I just feel like I can't be broken anymore about this shit. I just can't, I can't. And it's like, I have, I've been in a much better place. The pandemic put me into a harder place, but yeah. I mean, it's like, I just, I got to say stuff before I, I went to my mom's grave. I finally found out that she fought back with affairs and I didn't know about it. It was like, this is great. Like, finally, my mother stood up. I'm like, this is great. You know, but I, I've spoken to her at, at her gravesite, and this guy's 98 years old. I'm thinking you're living. So you're waiting for me to come up and say this stuff and release this. I'm guessing. I mean, that's just my interpretation, my, my self-centered interpretation of why he's still alive. But anyway, he's getting well, good care. All right. So um, I'm not I'm going to ask a question in a minute, sure. but uh, thank you for sharing the, the uh, I think we've got a full picture of it, uh, <laughs> not, not the details, but the when I looked up the word forgiveness in a dictionary, look at my hand. It was a decision to release them. Yeah. All right. And that's your role. That's your responsibility. As you know, in the resentment area, it's all about you. And you've, you've acknowledged that. You've experienced that. The forgiveness process is really the same. A decision to release, not condone, right. not accept, not, not put yourself in harm's way, but just to release this feeling that you have. And um two resources for you. Well, at least two. Number one, in my way of life document, there's a three page meditation on forgiveness that summarizes the process as I've experienced it, releasing my father, releasing Bob, releasing my wife, releasing the bosses I've ever had. And I got free as a result of this process, column three, column four, and the rest of the ninth step amends. That's a bigger picture than we can discuss today. The second resource is a book called Forgive for Good by Fred Luskin. And uh, well, read it. And if you've read it, read it again. Um, It's it's, mm, coming from a psychological, scientific, no spirituality, no religion, nothing. 12 step. He's a, uh, a professor at Stanford, a scientist, totally secular. And he's been doing work on forgiveness, wrote his PhD dissertation on it 30 years ago, converted it to this book, and he's been doing it ever since. And 
from my standpoint, that's the second best book I've ever read because of its practicality. The first being the big book because of its practicality. It's life-changing, the big book. And Fred Luskin's book is so supplemental to it because it comes at it strictly from a science standpoint. But not, 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 not to be sophisticated, science that I'm not science trained or oriented, but I read it and it, it so complemented the work I did in the 12-step work. He and I, Fred Luskin, have done workshops together now, co-facilitated. There's about two of them and they're on the YouTube and, and we've got two more planned. Okay. So I would recommend that if you want to just have some fun with that, you're welcome to listen to my part, which is about steps eight and nine, um, but certainly listen to Fred's part. And I think you'll get a sense of him and his personality. He's gentle, he's humble, he's informed. He just wants to really be helpful. He's, it's really cool. Yeah, I really want to send um, this 98-year-old man out with my love. I really do. That's feel, wonderful. That's really what I want. That yeah. I want to be in that place. And yeah. I'm not there. And I really want to be. And, and I, I, have to, I have to keep forgiving. I know it's an ongoing process, but I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm like, please forever. Let's do this. And, and you might want to challenge and have discussion with your therapist. Are you going to get free at a cost to him? Right. And I, I don't think that would be a healthy thing. No, that's not what I'm interested in. Well, I, I, I don't want to interfere with the psychological therapeutic dynamic, whatever your no. therapist said. But my instinct is yeah. we don't get free based on hurting anybody else. No, no I know. And that. in fact, that's what the ninth step says, doesn't it? That's right. We make amends unless to do so would hurt them or others. Right. Yeah. So... Um, God bless him. He's 98. He's probably done the best that he can. Oh, and, yeah. And oh, even yeah. though and even though it's demented, delusional and not good enough, it's really none of your business. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 It's true. It's none of, what is your business is your feelings about it and your reaction to it. And what you said earlier, keep that as the lenses through which you look. I want to send him off with love. I think that's what you said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hello, Herb. Thank you for the work. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Um, I just want to say that um, I have not worked on the step in these columns in several months. And it's just very, very humbling. <laughs> to be here today, you know, oh. I'm, pardon? What's, what's humbling about being here today? I, that surprised me. I thought you were saying it was humbling to do the work, but humbling to be here today. Tell me about that. It's humbling to be here today because um, I'm feeling like I've got the wrong 12-step group. I'm feeling like I've got the wrong therapist, the wrong couples therapist. Oh. <laughs> I just need to step up my game. Um I, I'm in, you talked about suffering and how suffering brings us to this work. I did something really dumb this week and I'm now suffering. I had a resentment against my stepdaughter who just got married 
in Aruba and I got nothing from her for Mother's Day. I did flowers for her. We did the gift bags. We did a necklace for her that was engraved. I mean, I, this is my reaction to her indifference to everything that we did is my suffering. And I just wanted to say that here. Yeah. And I rec I just relate to so many of yeah. the people today. And I just wanted to say that. Yeah, you've heard it probably in meetings. Our expectations are resentments under construction. <laughs> oh my goodness. For, for sure. Resentment in advance, right? Yeah. We're building it. Yeah. An expectation is a yeah. yeah. Now she may be very insensitive and disrespectful and clueless and socially awkward. It may be, it may be, it may be. But that's not your problem. What your problem is, is you're no. reacting. You're reacting because you have a story about how daughters-in-law should be, especially after you have been such a wonderful mother-in-law. Can you hear me? All right. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I think we were frozen. Sorry about that. No, that's all right. Was I frozen or were you frozen? Did you hear what I said? I heard you say that I am the stepmother and I should be treated in a certain manner. And then I that's your that. that's your expectation. That's your story. Yeah. And if she doesn't live up yes. to your story, you get angry. Oh yes. But it's your yeah. story. I get angry and but wait, wait, but it's your story. Exactly. And your story is a delusion. It's just, it's stuff that you made up. Yeah. That's what my sponsor said this week. She's, <laughs> then you have the right sponsor. <laughs> she said, you're creating stories and then believing them. Yeah, yeah. That's what we do, all of us, we all do it, yeah? Until we have the breakthrough. Um, Dr. Berger's book on emotional sobriety talks about that, that we're dealing with uh, our story and emotional sobriety is merely seeing reality as it is, not the story that we make up about it. Right. Okay. Reality as it is. It's the I think the, the story the story that I make up is I've been doing recovery for so long that I shouldn't have any anger and fear and suffering and resentment anymore. Exactly. I can see the halo above your head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Saint Stephen. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. it's great. It's great that you can smile. It's great that we can have a sense of humor about being so human. All right, I'd like to begin again. <clears throat>
and I'm going to uh, talk now about <clears throat> the prayer practice that I introduced uh, just in summary form. After Bill talks about column three in the big book on page 65, I'm going to get it here. He says, we went back through our lives, nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. Well, clearly, you're not finished with your third column. We're doing a laser focus kind of uh, deep look at, but not necessarily deep work with the material. The first thing apparent was that the world and its people were often quite wrong. It's true. It's, it's true. That's how my meditation on forgiveness starts out. You were abused. You were betrayed. You were hurt. You were abandoned. It is all true. It is all true. Whatever it is that you have as your uh, history, it's all true. That is correct. But it is history. And now you need to, you're being invited to release it and heal from it. Because your problem today is not your history. Please hear this. Your problem today, as you've heard many people share about their fathers and mothers, <clears throat> their problem today is not their history. It's our reaction today to our history. That's the only problem. And the translation of that is what Bill says here. So our our troubles are of our own making on page um, 60, I believe it is. So our troubles are of our own making because it's our reaction to yesterday. It's our reaction to our history. It's our reaction to today. <clears throat> to conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. <laughs> Columns one, two, and three. Oh, yeah, I'm a victim. I mean, we were victimized. I don't want to diminish that, demean that. Mm -mm. We were a victim. But today, we're not a victim. Except we victimize ourselves. And that's the whole point of column four. To get a clear sense and experience. I am not the victim. I'm the perpetrator. I don't have a part in my resentment. Please don't use those words. I don't have a part. I have the whole thing. I am responsible for my resentments. I don't have a part in it. Whose anger is it? It's my anger. What percentage of it is my anger? Oh, that would be 100%. That's why Bill uses, he doesn't use the term part. He uses the term role. What's my role? I use the term, what's my responsibility? But then on page 66, he goes on. <clears throat> it is plain that a life which includes deep resentment, <clears throat> deep resentment. So he's making the distinction. When I first did this work, I had 85 resentments. 
But seven or eight of them were deep resentments. Bob, of course, my father, my mother, my wife, <clears throat> and four bosses. I had deep resentments about those. I mean, they went down to the bone. The rest were 12-ounce salmon or 30-pound barracuda. But I was dealing with 2,000-pound white shark when I talk about deep resentment. <clears throat> and Bill uh, suggests here, <clears throat> we saw that resentments, these resentments must be mastered, but how? Please hear this line, the last line in the last full paragraph on page 66. So many times it's misunderstood, mostly, but take a look at it. <clears throat> we could not wish them away, these deep resentments, any more than alcohol. Translate that. We're as powerless over our deep resentments as we are over alcohol. He invites us to pray. But notice, <clears throat> in contrast to what you hear in meetings, and you hear wonderful spiritual stuff, pray for them, pray that they get the best in what they want, pray for them, they get the best of what you want, and pray for their healing, wonderful, wonderful spiritual practices. But it's not the uh, instruction in the big book, please pay attention to the words in the big book, page 67. We ask God, that's an invitation to prayer. Anytime we're talking to God, whatever that means to you. Anytime we're talking to God, that's prayer. We ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. We are not praying for the object of our resentment. We ask God to help us. We're praying for ourselves. We're praying for our own healing. We're praying, inviting the divine surgeon to bring the spiritual scalpel to remove the deep hurt, the deep resentment, the deep cancer in us to remove that from us. I can't. I've named it. I've analyzed it. I've talked about it. That may have minimized it, but it didn't remove it. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, sacred power, sacred force to come in, remove that cancer from me and heal me. The prayer is in the way of life document. I'm going to bring it up just so that you can see what it looks like. Not necessarily copy it. That's up to you. Uh, <laughs> First of all, we identify the deep resentments. What are they? If you have a long list of resentments, not all of them are deep, at, as I say, at the soul level. But you may be able to identify, as some people have, mother and father and or significant partner or ex-partner relationship. Begin this prayer practice. Only if you want freedom. If you want to keep your deep resentment, do not do what I'm suggesting. <laughs> I say that when tongue-in-cheek. And here's the prayer. God, dad, like me, is a spiritually sick person. 
That's the unpacking of the material on page 66 and 67. Most of this prayer comes from those words with some interpretation. Help me to show dad tolerance, compassion. Bill uses the term pity. I don't like the term. It might have been a good term back in 1939 when the big book was written. But it's, I don't believe today it, it's a helpful word. So I use the term compassion and patience. Release me from being angry. You see, I'm looking for healing. Enable me to release this resentment. That's my role. Remove this resentment. That's the invitation of healing. Show me how to take a kindly and tolerant view of dad or Bob or my wife. Bring me to accept reality as it is. That's a new line that I've added based on my exposure to and experience with emotional sobriety. Bring me to accept reality as it is. Not how I want it to be, not how I think it ought to be, but how it is. And show me how I can be helpful. That final phase of the step 10 recommendation, turn your thoughts to someone you can help. Thy will be done. I think that's the most effective and simple prayer there is. With my free will, I'm saying I want to be in alignment with the flow of reality. I want to be in alignment with God's will. I want to be in alignment with life. That prayer is in the Way of Life document on page 24. Uh, on my, in my website, you're welcome to download any aspect of that. I recommend it. And here's the practice. I had a list of eight people. I prayed the prayer specifically one at a time for the removal of the resentment for each person. God, Bob, like me, that was my coworker. God, Mary, that was my wife, like me. And I prayed the prayer. Now, at that time, when I first was exposed to this, I prayed a single prayer, one for each person every day. Therefore, I prayed eight prayers. I had eight deep resentments, and I prayed eight separate prayers, one for each some people have modified that based on what they can do or are willing to do, and they take it one at a time so that they have their list, but they only pray one prayer every day, or they pray three prayers every day, one for three different people. And then when one is removed, they replace it with another person until the entire list has been taken care of. Here's what's happened. I, I prayed eight for three months on a daily basis. I, I, I was trusting the suggestion that my step guide had given me and that what Bill had said in the big book, I was trusting it. I wasn't experiencing any relief. I wasn't experiencing any freedom. I was not experiencing any forgiveness. But I prayed each day eight separate prayers. About three months into it, I was aware when I prayed that morning that there was no negative energy around one of them. Wow. 
It was gone. The resentment, the anger, the energy, the negativity, it was gone. I mean, like there was no hint of mint. So the next day I prayed the seven prayers. And of course, they melted. Well, not of course, but that's why I'm sharing this. It's about so effective. They melted away like spring snow over the next several weeks. I don't know how long it was, but it wasn't very long. Over several weeks, the seven went to six, went to five, etc., until they disappeared. Now, here's the really good news. Three years later, when I did this step work again, not one of them, not one of these resentments returned. Nothing. And they have never returned since then. I have had new annoyances and or irritations, little tiny, not resentments. In 2008 or nine, I forget exactly when, I realized I was having a particular resentment with a new circumstance and people that had come up. And I took pause as somebody mentioned, and I did a laser focus, written column three, column four, on that particular set of resentments. There were two or three people involved. And I spent some time doing the fifth step through the ninth step, completing the work, laser focused on them. It took a couple of weeks to get it done. And those were removed. I mean, literally removed. And they've never come back. See, what we're talking about here is freedom. Freedom from this negativity. Freedom from this anger. Freedom from these resentments. Freedom from this reaction. That's why I completely endorse somebody who said, I want to do grief through this process. Absolutely. Sadness. Regret, remorse, depression, even fear or anxiety. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not saying avoid medication. I am not saying avoid professional help with therapy. I'm not. In fact, include them where they're necessary and called for. But don't overlook this spiritual practice. A very, very powerful practice of removing these negativities from ourselves and from the lenses through which we're looking. Once we do that, I'm going to go on now with the fourth column. I call it the fourth column because it's the final instructions on page 67, the second paragraph, rounding out the resentment recommendation from Bill. <clears throat> it's not in the order that he gives it in the book. What am I thinking? I, I define selfish, that word he uses, as thinking about myself. What am I doing? I define the word self-seeking. He doesn't define either of the words. So I have to give it a, I want to give it a definition so that I can deal with it. The difference between selfish is that that's thinking and self-seeking, that's about doing, that's about behavior. How are my feet moving? How, what am I thinking is really about my thoughts and my feelings and my imagination and my memory, all of those things that are immaterial, but within us, within our consciousness. What am I doing? That's translating it into action. How are my feet moving? What is my fear? As I asked in the third column, 
next to every of the seven variables that Bill gives us, the word self-esteem, pride, etc. He suggests that we put fear, and my step guide suggested that we do fear on all seven, which helped me crack open an additional meaning of the evaluation of self-esteem and pride, etc. When I asked the fear, it was usually the opposite of my belief, which allowed me then to see another dimension of my belief when I looked at the fear of my belief not being true. Where am I dishonest? Very straightforward. Where am I not being transparent? Where am I trying to manipulate the truth? Where am I trying to manipulate other people? Selfish, self-centered. You see, every one of these questions has as its root what Bill talks about on page 62, selfish and self-centered. And I can't even reduce it much by wishing or trying on my own power. And the fifth question is about responsibility. As I mentioned, I don't use the word that Bill uses in terms of blame. I use the word role and or responsibility. This is the worksheet, and you can see that it's much broader than the five questions. In fact, it has some questions about harm there, six and seven. I've included those because when we get in the big book to step eight, and it says make a list of the harms that we've done, we did so when we took inventory. I'm honoring that suggestion, having now in retrospect some experience with the fourth through the eighth step, I found that looking at the harm done to the person with whom I have a resentment and the harm done, question number seven, to the people around that resentment allowed me to see the negative impact of my resentment. Sometimes my resentment led to harm for other people, but they're not necessarily connected. You hear all the time misinformation in the rooms that if you've got them in your resentment inventory that they need to be on your eight step. That's just not true. It may be true if you created harm, but my behavior is not the harm. More about that when we get to step eight and nine. As I mentioned, I'm doing the resentment inventory quarterly now this year because I think it's so important. I'm also quarterly doing a workshop on steps eight and nine because they're equally important and transformative. These are the two areas that I can identify that I had my specific spiritual awakening. Step four, the resentment inventory, column three and four. I, I can look back on it and see that I began to wake up. But that wake up, waking up wasn't complete until I finished the eighth and ninth step. That forgiveness process, that healing wasn't complete until I finished the eighth and ninth step. Both of those areas, step four on the one hand, step eight and nine on the other hand, are the two biggest areas of transformation as I've experienced it. And so I found that holding the questions about harm here are important 
in the preparation for the eighth step, as well as the realization of the dimensions of the impact of the resentment inventory. And then in step eight, just trying to pick up any other fears that might be in addition to supplemental to the question in number four. I had a fear of uh, really smart people. They intimidated me. I had a fear of public humiliation. I had a fear of being wrong. All of those had not come out uh, up until that point, and they were all grist for the mill for the next piece of work in the step four inventory. As I mentioned in my opening comments, that arch through which we walk to new freedom, one of the building blocks is resentment. The other in the step four inventory is fear. And the last one in the big book is about our sexual behavior. So I then go to step, excuse me, the question uh, number nine in my worksheet is about character defects, which is a preparation for step six, of course, naming our character defects. I found that to it was added over time with the workshop feedback because it made the column four more effective when I was able to list the character defects that I was becoming aware of, grandiosity, lack of consideration, all of the various aspects of narcissism, which I had up to that point been completely clueless to. But it began to be revealed to me, very embarrassing, but also very therapeutic and humbling, as people have mentioned in their own sharing today. Number 10 is really an interesting question. Why do I hold on to this resentment? What's the motive? What's the benefit? What's the value? People's very quick reaction to the question, because they don't really hear the question, is, oh, no, this is totally negative. There's no benefit. There's no value. Well, Sam, you've been holding it for 40 years, this resentment toward your father. It must have some value. Otherwise, you wouldn't be holding it. Oh, well, yeah, you're right. If I have a resentment, meaning a negative feeling of anger that's over 24 hours, let alone 24 years, it must be serving a purpose. What's the purpose? What's, what, what is the benefit I'm getting out of it that I'm not even aware of? A great question. And it may not be obvious. It may need prayer and conversation. But at the top, I've asked people to confirm what coming out of the column three, what their perceived role is, you can see at the top of the worksheet, like an actor in a play. I'm a misunderstood person. I'm a betrayed spouse. I'm an abused child. Whatever the connotation is of the story, coming out of the third column, it's always going to be a variation on a theme of being a victim. Always. I am a victim, therefore I have anger. Although historically I was victimized 10 years ago, today I still have the feeling because I have the active anger that I'm being victimized today. It's not true. But the trauma 
at various levels, maybe scale of one to 10, the trauma is so severe that in fact, I have the perception that I'm an abused child. I'm 47 years old, but I'm an abused child. And quite frankly, this evaluation begins to expose the lie. As it says at the top, the motives. The answer to question number 10. As long as I stay a victim, I'm not responsible. As long as I stay a victim, I can blame my father. As long as I stay as a victim, I don't have to grow up. Those are some of my reasoning, some of my responses. So rather than being an abused child, or in Bob's case, a misunderstood employee, that was my perceived role coming out of the third column. Bob did not understand me. My real role at the bottom for holding these negative feelings, I realized that he understood me completely. Now, there were some aspects of it, of course, that he misread because he was very dysfunctional. But my real role is that I was a Neanderthal, that I was a self-appointed, uh, grandiose, unrealistic, self-serving, et cetera, et cetera. And that I was fully responsible, not only for my reaction to Bob, but it explained a lot of the reaction of Bob and other people like him because I was such a jerk and I'm being kind. So the perceived role and the real role is the turnaround. Byron Katie, loving what is, <clears throat> comes at it at this same process, but not from 12-step vocabulary or spiritual vocabulary or religious vocabulary or psychological experience. She comes at it from her own personal experience. Byron Katie, loving what is. Once you're doing this work, I think it's a wonderful supplement to broaden and complement the work that we're doing here. Very simple, asking questions about our relationship to reality. Is it true? Is it really true? Oh my God, the story that I have is not true. There are ingredients to it that are historical facts. But the way I have created the story is a total lie to protect me or to exonerate me or to excuse me. That turnaround is the curtain parting so that I can see the lie of the third column, my beliefs, and the distortion of that and really get to the truth of the motives that are coming from my self-centeredness. Well, um, let's see. Let's go back to that for just a. Well, no. Let's let's stay with this. <clears throat> All right. So, if you've done some third column work here today, or in the past that you're just sort of building on, and you want to take a look at it through the lens of what we just talked about, capture the perceived role. Like you're in a drama, and the scriptwriter has a very short description in the script of 
betrayed spouse or abused uh, parent or uh, abandoned child, whatever the description is, and then answer, ask yourself at least those five questions about your motive, selfish, your behavior, self-seeking. Where are you dishonest? Where are you fearful? And what's your real role? What's your, excuse me, what is your perceived role there and responsibility in creating this resentment? Not, not your perceived role as a victim, but your role in creating this resentment. And then go, if you want to look at the character defects, that might be helpful, but then go to the, the benefit and or the, the real role in contrast to the perceived role. I'm not an abandoned child. I'm 50 years old, whatever, at the age that I was doing this work. I'm not a child. And I might have been abandoned, but I'm not abandoned now, but I'm a self-abandoning man. My perception and delusion that I've operated on for 30 years is that I was an abandoned child. <gasps> Woe is me. I'm not dismissing or diminishing it or making fun of it. I'm really not. But I am attempting to, to pierce through the lie that we tell ourselves to see the truth. I'm not an abandoned child. I'm a self-abandoning adult. I'm not a misunderstood employee. I'm a completely narcissistic man. Self-serving to the very unhealthy level. That's the turnaround to see the truth. Peeling back those masks of the matrushka, the nesting dolls. Peeling, peeling the, the one mask at a time. Or as we do here in Southern California, talk about the Hollywood storefront. Well, you've seen movies that look really real, but if you saw the set, all it is is empty facades on streets so that they can film it in a make-believe town. Most of us live in a make-believe reality. We don't know that we don't know, and we can't see that we don't see. If you're interested in un attempting to unpack your fourth column in light of your third column, whatever you wrote or, and or thought or experience, I'm happy to work with you right now. How, how would you like me to start with my perceived role? I would like you to start with your resentment from the third column okay. and your self-esteem. So third column resentment and self-esteem and fear over from the third column then go to the perceived role and fourth call. Okay. So um, I resent my mom for not making a big effort to like Chris. That's the guy I've been dating for three years. Okay. All right. <clears throat> my self-esteem, um, my deep belief about who I am is that I'm smart and make great choices and mates. I would never date an undesirable man. Um, 
or creep. She used to have this thing she'd call the creep theory where great when women date creepy guys or great men date creepy women that couples would some sometimes one of the couple is a creep. So so what what she's doing there just as an FYI is telling you who she is. Mm. She's not telling you about who you are. This is her experience. So that's the lenses through which she's looking. Okay. Anyway, that might be helpful. Go back to this now. So uh, your self-esteem, you wrote, uh, yes, good. And what's your fear when you say all of those things? Is that I am someone who picks a creepy mate. It doesn't, right. it's not a uh, good mate. Uh, a broken picker is what one of yeah. my friends calls it. <laughs> okay. All right. And so now go over to the fourth column. What's your perceived role? I wrote a disrespected daughter. All right. Yep. Excellent. And when you feel like the disrespected daughter, mm-hmm. um, how do you, uh, I like to start with behavior because it's the easiest to get to. How do you behave? I, on the form, it's number one, uh, self-seeking. I, um, I'm, I'm a little cold to her, I, and I, I keep that part of my life separate from her. Yeah, I'm cold and secretive. Uh-huh. All right. And number two, selfish. Where, where are you coming from self-centered motives? Uh, well... I, I'm a little confused in this spot, but what I what comes to mind is that I expect her to have the same opinion about men as I do. Yeah, you expect her to be different than she is. Huh? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I allow my sense of her valuation to impact me. Yeah, okay. Hmm. So that belongs in there. Un- unhealthy thinking that okay. I mean, why do you give her opinion any weight at all yeah or to the extent that you give it any weight you're giving her power over you mm-hmm. that's a huge lesson in emotional sobriety yeah. my image is that i'm a puppet on strings circumstances and people determine how i feel because mm-hmm. they're holding the strings yeah. The point of this work is to take the scissors and cut the strings. Mm. <laughs> Dr. Berger <laughs> says we place our center of gravity deep inside ourselves, never in circumstances and people. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, it's tragic. <clears throat> well, it is if, it, if we allow it to persist and it doesn't happen because we think it and say it, it happens because we believe it's true and we begin to try to disassociate from that so that people don't have the power. Mm-hmm. We try to em- em- empower ourselves. It, and that, as you know, that's a process. Yeah. All right. Number three, dishonest. Misrepresenting. So that's, would that be misrepresenting myself to other people or to myself? Yes, <laughs> both. <laughs> Absolutely both. Mm-hmm. I, all, I can, all I can say is that I feel like I'm bifurcated. Like half the time I'm trying to talk myself into breaking up with him to align myself with her opinion of him. And the other time I'm fiercely angry at her because she's not approving of him and I'm defensive. 
Well, in both yeah. cases, it's your problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, but does that belong in that area, the dishonest? Sure. What, it, it belongs wherever you want to put it because mm -hmm. it's a great insight. You're just giving your power away mm -hmm. in both, both circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard, but, you know, Al-Anon has made a great science of detaching from other people's opinion. Mm -hmm. Detach with love is their phrase, and it just means that the puppet strings are cut. Thanks, Mom. I didn't ask for your opinion, and mm -hmm. in the future, I actually don't want your opinion. <laughs> depending on how far you want to go <laughs> with the possibility <laughs> of injuring your relationship. Do you think healthy people, meaning if, if and I know we don't like pop psychology words, but let's just say she's um, a healthy person and she sees me stand up for myself and reject her opinion. Would she be, uh, would, would, she, would she respect that if she were somebody or is it just, we don't know. Okay, that's I mean, going too far off. Again, sense. again, you see, you're trying to read minds and write scripts about other people. Mm -hmm. Not very productive. Right. She's just going to be who she is and react how she reacts. And it says what who she is. It has no references to how, who you are, unless you really give her the credit for being a balanced and insightful and intuitive and experienced person. And you actually really say, well, I, I may be really out of line and unhealthy in my choices. I mean, it all, I mean, there's a healthy sense that uh, it may or may not be helpful to you. Yeah. That was one of my fears on the third column page that she's right because there in a lot go. of areas she is a good judge yeah. of character. So, yeah, so. yeah. <clears throat> okay. Um, number four is um, well, that was dishonest. And how about fear? Number four. Uh, yeah, I, I fear that I I'm not going to have the support of her or other people as well. Um, and then you challenge yourself as to why you need their support. Underneath that fear is what, though? Oh, is that I, I am making a bad choice. Is that uh, right? and, and I'm flawed that I actually don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, those are grists for the mill when you do the fear inventory next. To get mm -hmm. underneath the underneath the underneath of the fear to see where does that all come from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, and so that's just setting yourself up for more work. Like most of the column four items that I have there are setting you up for more work, like in the um, <clears throat> harm area, in the character defects area, in the fear area. Right. So number five, number five is a crucial question. That's really where the turnaround might happen. What's your role and responsibility in generating this resentment? I um, I don't I'm not sure about that because I yes, would you say are. yes you, you are quite sure actually you're not seeing it but yeah. <laughs> all through this conversation you are you are suspecting and quite sure of the source of this 
But go well, ahead. I think, Tell me what I think you're going to say that I'm um, at fault because I'm uh, letting her opinion affect me. That was what I was going to say. say it, it's the I, lack of self-confidence <laughs> at the one level and mm. severe codependence on the other level. Okay. I thought what I what I went to originally was that I, I did not confront her about it or, or have a discussion. Why do, you need, why do you need to? Yeah. You want her to change? I do. And you expect her to change because you're going to talk to her? Uh, well, <laughs> probably not, but it might help. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. That, that very thought, it might help. Mm -hmm. It's a total delusion. Hmm. Has it ever? It almost made it worse because I did kind of confront her and then she made a half-hearted attempt, which just was just annoying, actually. There, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's really, it's really hard to accept other people for with their brokenness, mm -hmm. or at least what you perceive to be their brokenness or their difference. Yeah. 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 It may not be brokenness. It just may be different. It's completely different from how I would treat one of my kids' loved ones. If they love somebody, it's completely. See, and, and that's a total projection on your part. Mm -hmm. You're writing the script because. I'm a really kind and loving and effective person and the way I operate and think and feel should be the script, should be the script for everybody else. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're smiling because? Because I tell myself that, but it hasn't, got, I haven't had relief in three years. So that's because, well, what, what is the current definition of insanity? Yeah. It's doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Do you, do you really hear that? Yeah. Are you getting different results that are healthy? No, I'm, I'm stuck here. I, no. I was listening a lot with the prayer, the, the prayer that you were just talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> All right. And so let's um, look at question number nine. Uh, character defects? I would say codependence right off the back. All right. Yeah. What does it mean to you, codependence? That would mean, well, yeah, that's a good question. What I'm meaning when I say it this time is that I want someone else's approval to feel okay about myself. That's a, That couldn't be a better definition. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. And so number 10, the benefit or value for generating the resentment that's a i, I can't um come to that one figure that one out Hold on. yes you can um what's the benefit that you get from attempting to change your mother avoiding um be taking responsibility for my own choices or partly partly integrity. partly partly yeah uh -huh. yeah but holding on to the belief, I'm right. I'm right. Okay. God damn it. God damn it. I'm right. So it's a fear of, of holding on to that belief. Is that what you're saying? No, it's or? just anger. That's yeah. the benefit to you. 
As long as I can be angry enough that I'm right, maybe I'll change the situation. I don't know. I'm. You know. So you're saying I may or may not be right, but it doesn't matter because I have my. Oh, own you're not right. right. Okay. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you haven't seen that yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're talking about two different things, but I maybe. mean, I was talking about the right choice of a mate, but. I'm, oh I'm, yeah, no, no. Your anger is about your mother. Yeah. Okay. No, you, you, you're. Well, maybe it's a cover for your fear that you're wrong and she's right. Mm -hmm. That, mm -hmm. that could be it there. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. Um, so the perceived role at the top was a disrespected daughter. And what's the truth at the bottom? What's the turnaround? I wrote an unrealistic daughter good unrealistic is is good but turn the words disrespected daughter inside out disrespectful daughter who are you being disrespectful of her opinions no. about no no okay <laughs> this is good it may be it may be but no the heart of it is you're disrespectful of yourself and your own opinion. okay yeah, that's wow. huge. That's huge. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even consider that, which goes to show how far I am from being there. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Wow. That's great. Well, and that's what happens when you can get crisp and specific at the beginning mm -hmm. and specific as you go through it and mm -hmm. then attempt to play with just turning it inside out. Mm -hmm. to see if in fact it can be crisp just like we did and it worked perfectly yeah yeah no, no, i'm not saying it's right but i'm saying that you had an experience with it mm -hmm. yeah it feels right it feels yeah. great yeah right all right thank you so much quite frankly that was a classic model of going through the third and the fourth column and the dialogue where there was no right or wrong answer there. We teased it out. Sometimes we, we, we explored blind alleys that didn't, you know, it, it didn't work out. We don't have to force it. But at the end, the organic nature of that turnaround that she experienced, which was a huge surprise for her, the curtain parted, something that she hadn't anticipated or explored. And she was able to not just see it and understand it. I hope you saw that. She had an experience with it. And that kind of experience is, is life-changing because it changes the way we look at reality. But again, that's where experience comes in because I can help lead her down through that. And she's got her own experience with it. And we've had many, many personal conversations. None of this stuff is easy or automatic. Herb, can I ask one more question before? Yes, yeah. This was back on the third column. Is it always, is personal relation, sorry, is sex relations always answered? Like even in this one, I'm talking about my mom. Well, but, but it's about gender. What's your belief about mothers? What's your belief about daughters? Yes, it's always answered. Okay, so we always answer it. Okay. Yeah, well, first of all, it's not about sex. It's, right. about, it's about gender. So we can okay. explore male, female, variations on a theme fathers and sons fathers and daughters 
mothers and sons, mothers and daughters. There's four variations on it right there. Okay. Yeah. So it's a way of backing away just from the personal relations, sort of backing away to your general relation. Uh, well, the whole point is to transcend your personal dynamic to go to the the archetypal. Right. Okay. Using arch the archetypal. What's the template that okay. I'm using as the lens? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Great. Thanks. I think this is a quick question, but that's always a dumb thing to say. No, no, no. It's just, um, we'll see, right? Yes, we will. We'll see. Um, so at the end of that, I am a disrespectful daughter. And then you said disrespectful of myself. And what do you, what do you, what is meant by that? Disrespectful of myself because I'm trying to latch on to something and change it and control it to make it how I want it. And that's disrespecting myself. So yeah, she's disrespecting her own value, her own competence, her own experience. Okay. Yeah. Her own competence and experience because she's doubting because of what her, this other person is saying. Her mother. Okay. That helps. That helps a lot. Um, you asked the question because, yeah, it, it, it bears. Um, it's not necessarily intuitive. Um, yeah, I did see the that just sort of visceral reaction. Um, that I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh. Yeah. Yeah. I I. I Sitting in my room with the instructions I had from this man in 1988, mm -hmm. by myself writing this out, and then having a healthy reaction to it, I just, I turned, I flushed red. Wow. There was nobody in the room, but wow. I was so embarrassed in my own presence. <laughs> yeah. Right. I wish that I had done this one week ago because I tried to force a solution this past week Yeah, and I did harm. And so now you have a chance to clean it up. Yeah. Because you're conscious. See, we, we only learn by, usually we learn experientially by making mistakes <laughs> and then right. correcting them. It's the accumulated course correction that gives us wisdom. I'm going to write that one down here. Thank you. Well, yeah, because that's why most young people are not wise. They haven't made enough mistakes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, there's where humility comes in. <laughs> well, know. yes. Yes, I'm, I'm experiencing my humanness, my frailty, mm. my dysfunction, and, I, and I'm accepting it. Oh, yeah, there I go again. Yeah. Yeah, it's not over. I asked my um, a program person years ago, when is, it, when is it over? She said, when you're dead. Well, my wife will take it a step further. She said, about 30 days after you're dead. <laughs> Say more about that. <laughs> uh, 
days after what happens 30 days after well i mean it's what what we're what she is saying tongue in cheek is the ego yeah. is so strong it survives for a while it mm. survives death yeah boy boy that is strong because that ego that's out there doing push-ups in the parking lot we're in a, when we're in a meeting right during the meeting during in, the meeting and in the meeting the whole thing before during and after have you ever seen ego expressed in a meeting? Oh my goodness. <laughs> All the time. Mm-hmm. In a meeting. Right, of course. Yes. How dare that person interrupt me? <laughs> there you go. Hey, without laughing. Or or not call on me. I didn't raise my hand, but they should intuitively know that I'm the wisdom person in the room that can yeah. address this issue. Or if I'm the lead speaker, then everybody has to give me platitudes and I can't believe how profound that was. Oh, and and be quiet and not get up to go get coffee while I'm speaking, for God's (laughs) sakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, we're so funny. This is very humbling because I've been working with you for 13 years now, over 12. (laughs) And I couldn't see that on my own. So what I'm seeing is that, but I think I could with the sponsee. We, we do, do you think we need, this is like the fifth, the fifth step part of it. We need to talk to somebody else. Like I could not see that in myself after a dozen years with you. So, well, and that's it. It's progressive. And and, and you've heard me share about the dimmer switch and the dimmer switch goes up a notch at a time. And there's a little bit more light and a little bit more light. And that dimmer switch goes up our entire life if we stay gently pressed up against it. And it goes up and it goes up. And and then, I mean, this is a particularly intimate relationship and long-term relationship that you've had with your mother. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's going to be potentially more difficult and more revealing as you, in fact, thaw out and unpack it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hi, Herb. I just want to put a plug in for the prayer for freedom from resentment. Okay. Um, I have had difficulty with my um, older sister for years and years and years. And I've done, I, um, when I was in your class and you introduced this prayer, I started praying this for my sister. I started praying uh, this prayer, inserting my sister's name in it. And it was life-changing because it was like the um, the la- second to the last line was highlighted where it says, bring me to accept reality as it is. I cannot change my sister. She right. is what she is. And that was life-changing. And then I was able to go on and do my third and fourth column on her that being said she's going to be here the um she's coming to my area the last week in july for two weeks so i have my prayer ready in case i need it but i know it works so i just wanted to put a plug in for the prayer yeah yeah and 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 i'll just make this comment thank you so much for your sharing of your experience and my comment is We don't pray to change other people. We don't pray to change God. We pray to be changed. 
And it's the prayer who becomes changed. And I think it has to do with some sort of a new consciousness that we get from just praying consciously this, this whatever it is we're healing prayer for that we're praying for. Uh, good afternoon, Herb, and good afternoon, everyone. Hi. Um, I just, I've heard so much, and we all have so much in common and not yeah. in common. No, um, it's true. It's true. Yeah. It's all a, the human yeah. beings are really essentially the same. Oh, we just want, I, I always said, I just want to be heard. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I, I want to be appreciated. Yes. And, um, it, you know, the, and I'm stuck on a merry-go-round. Um, because I, I came into relationships, especially with my wife, um, to take in my mind, uh, to love her, to rescue her. Um, and I guess you always hear about women that try to change their men. Well, let's, men also try to change their women. And I was so wrong for so many years. Yeah. And now I have, now it comes down to, I'm learning to just accept the parts of my wife that I fell in love with when I married her, that was the contract. She's <laughs> not going to change. And I played this merry-go-round game that if I love her or spoil her, she'll finally love me the yeah. way I always wanted. Oh, my God. It ain't going to happen. Not <laughs> usually. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I don't, and I just, I'm a little perplexed because I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Um, except to accept you know, acceptance. Um, or, I, or want to, or want to accept it and pray for acceptance yeah. and be open to being changed so that you can accept it, knowing that you can't do that. I know. I know. But this fantasy of it's going to be better tomorrow because I did this. Yes. It's like, no, it's not. So again, it's acceptance. And I, and I need to make the decision to get off this merry-go-round because I identified with so many people saying, um, you know, dropping out. I mean, I, I came into uh, FA eight years ago and I learned that I, by experiential, and I'm probably the most persistent dropout anybody will ever meet, <laughs> that I react to food, um, you know, because of my emotions. And every time, and I've worked with you directly and indirectly, over the last three to four years, I would get to the fourth step. I would drop out and I would eat. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something that I was protecting or hiding. Um, and I, I'm, I'm a, yeah. And so there's something that I, I guess the fourth step's tough. And when you introduced me to the big book, I couldn't believe that they wrote this book about me. They didn't even know me, but I really get, the, the key that you introduced me to was through the big book was the fact that there was no shame in dropping out and that even Bill, I guess it was Bill, intellectually knew the program, but he didn't get sober for a long time. Yeah. Do I have that right? Yeah. Uh, so I, Bob, I, Bob, actually, yeah. Oh, Bob, forgive me. Yeah. So intellectually, I know Al-Anon. I know yeah. the 12 steps. I didn't apply it to me. And now it's tough because now I'm looking within. It's no longer sort of codependent to save the alcoholic and all the issues. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm, also, I'm also aware, and, and then I have just two questions, if I may. 
you know, I grew up in an environment where you just, you were taught not to get anger. And sure. I'm angry, probably because of the alcoholic who was very emotionally abusive and a real bully. Um, so, you know, you suppress yourself, but I used love. I mean, it was very, maybe this is passive aggressive, but I used love instead of anger. So even in, biz, in the business world, I was always the nice guy. I was always the lover of, of, of clients and people. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I was always very fearful of authority figures and anger. So I, that's something I'm working on now through these, um, the fourth step. So the question I have for you is, and I approached religion and I did not find my answers, my spiritual answers in religion, what did you, what, what were you introduced to when you left the seminary yeah. and got into the, into AA? What, what, what did you find that you could not find in the seminary? I'd like to hear your words because I love the way you put things in words. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was introduced to recovery accidentally in a way because my wife went into a hospital to deal with her addiction and they asked me to take a look at my relationship to drinking. A very laser-focused autobiography on my history with drinking. Because they knew, and they also knew that I didn't. So that they gave me this as a, perhaps, introduction to an awareness of my history of drinking. And it worked because when I wrote it out, I suspected that I had a problem. But when I read it out, I, it was, I was convinced that I had a problem, as were the group that I read it to. And I trusted that. But your question is deeper than that. Your question is, what did I find in AA that I didn't find in the seminary? And I didn't find that for four years. I was in AA with a sponsor, going to a meeting every day, calling my sponsor every day. And for four years, I did all of that external stuff, but it didn't touch anything internal, anything internal, nothing. I didn't know that because I was getting this. More information, more therapy, more con connection to people, more adulation because I'm pretty articulate even when I'm not changed. I'm, I, I understand stuff and I can talk about it and put it in a context that impresses people. I have that ability, all right? But it didn't change anything. So a direct answer to your question is, the man who took me through the steps was a step guide. It took a year to go through the steps. And this column three, column four business began to crack me open to see the truth of my delusions and the lie that I had told myself that I had never seen. And then when I got to the 11th step, this man helped me really understand and begin a practice of meditation. It was six years later. I've never answered the question this way. It was six years later that I was introduced to a man who took me through steps two and three, where I finally began to have an authentic relationship with power, with God, which then allowed me to have a meditation practice that made sense. 
up till then it was merely a meditation practice, not based on a connection with anything except what I consider to be spirituality. But once I had an authentic connection to steps two and three, I found that all of my vocabulary and experience and knowledge up to that point was the very impediment to my relationship with power, with God, with the light. Everything that I had learned was the obstacle and impediment to my relationship with the light. I, was, I didn't know what I was looking for in the monastery, except there was something intuitive that I was looking for. You were drinking at the monastery, right? No, no, no drinking. Oh. Seven years, no drinking. No, I didn't no, know that. Was, yeah, no, there was no drinking. <clears throat> there was also no, no, no change and no experience, but I didn't know that either. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I, I wore a Roman collar, don't you know? I'm spiritual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so it was at 10 years of sobriety that I finally connected with that which I was seeking, not knowing what I was seeking, but when I found it, I knew it. What I'm so impressed with is that you gave up your drug of choice in spite of being, you know, finding that enlightenment. Because every time I yeah. try to get more enlightened about myself, it gets a little too painful. I can't go from year oh, to year. Yeah, yeah, right. And that food, you know, for me, yeah. it's just... Yeah. Food, food is the most difficult of the addictions. I've mentioned that many times. Um, and I didn't give up drinking. I was released from it. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that I'd been released from it for 90 to 120 days. When I look back and I go, I'm not drinking and I'm not even inclined to drink. It was like a big surprise to me. Yeah. I have to remind myself every day that I deserve, um, I'm entitled to this enlightenment. Yes. Um, yes. And, well, and, and that it is available. I know. Yeah. Is available. Now, it doesn't come because you want it. It doesn't come because you do the steps. It doesn't come because you try real hard. The whole nature of grace is gift, never earned. I don't understand it. I know that it's promised in the big book by the time you finish the ninth step. That's the promise, a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. It is promised right there. Pages 84, 85, very dense material, worthy of some, spending some time unpacking. That's the transition. Not a moment before you finish your ninth step is the promise. Now, it might happen earlier, as it does with most of us. Unpredictably. It might come in the first step. It might come in the fifth step. Unpredictably. You've answered the second question I had, which is breaking the code, because we're just talking about that. And, you know, um, so I have to fasten my seatbelt, or in my case, unfasten my seatbelt to change. <laughs> <laughs> right, you. right. Right. You know, you're welcome. And um, trust the process. Make sure that you're connected to somebody who is both a knowledgeable and experienced guy. Those two things. Knowledge only won't get it. Experience only won't get it. It's that combination that's really 
uh, I think the formula. Hi, Herb. Uh, thank you so much for today. And um, uh, the last speaker, Ed, kind of touched on this, but since I'm on the phone, I, I want to ask you. So I'm also an FA and, um, you know, got sober in my early 20s and never believed I would never drink again. Went to meetings, but never really worked the steps. I did go to a recovery program for the food addiction. And I guess, you know, what I want to say is, I guess my question to you is this is kind of like what Ed was talking about is that I find myself repeating the insanity, repeating the insanity of the things that I know that don't work with the food, with the binging, mm -hmm. you know, just really crazy stuff and saying, but why do I keep doing that and getting some abstinence and then back in. And this morning, you know, I thought I went to online to a women's a meeting. And I thought, Maybe I need to be working with an AA sponsor, you know, somebody to bring me through those steps. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, when you say, you know. when you say an AA sponsor to take you through those steps, what are you contrasting it with? Oh, I guess with maybe in the food program that it's, it feels like quote, it feels like it's a different thing that they have you go through an AWOL that's a year long, but if you, break your abstinence of three oh, but I, no, I, i'm familiar with it okay okay but, but when you go through an a wall yeah what have you done what have you gone through nothing her because i always break my abstinence you know i'm well, never it's not yeah. about breaking your abstinence mm. but my understanding of an a wall it's it's wonderful for a newcomer and somebody within the first year or two, perhaps, of mm. their recovery, because it gives you an exposure to the steps, but it doesn't go very deep. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, okay. Thank you. All right. <laughs> thank, thank you for that. Yeah, no, it, it, it doesn't go deep wow. in the steps at all. It's a, mm. it's a wonderful journey. I'm totally mm -hmm. supportive of it to get yeah. a perspective on the steps if that's what it you actually get but it 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 doesn't do it doesn't even come close to what we're doing here uh, yeah. for instance in the third and fourth column gotcha. i would okay. assume that you've never heard these words before if you haven't been exposed to my work uh not really i said in one of your things yeah so that kind of helps me make my decision about finding a sponsor who's an AA who's really works the steps with people. Or finding a sponsor in FA who has done the step work out of the big book mm. and not an AWOL necessarily, but yes. something that's gone way deeper. Thanks. I appreciate that. And I'm going to ask you a weird question, but I'm going to ask it. And that is, what is this thing uh, you know, what is this difficulty about staying like clean and sober from the food, you know, like being it's a, a drunk? It, you're, you're not, you're not treating your unmanageability, which is the spiritual malady. You're attempting to deal with your addiction over which you have no power. At the end of the ninth step, it says you are placed in a position of neutrality. Mm. The implication, I believe, is with addiction. But mm. then it immediately says, but you're not cured. You have a daily reprieve. Right. My interpretation is you have a daily reprieve from unmanageability. Like you were talking about, I do what I don't want to do. And I don't right. know what I want to do. Right. That's it. It is it. 
That's right. Mm -hmm. But it's the best kept secret in the rooms and most people don't know it. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. you're, you're great. I, I appreciate that. So. All right. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for your question. That's uh, uh, it, it's very sad that not only is it the experience in the food programs, yeah. it's the experience in AA, by the way, what you just mm. described is pandemic. Even wow. in the they, they don't know that they don't wow. and they don't know that they don't know and they suffer and they relapse. The, the, Anyway, uh, don't get me yeah. started. So the obviously the step after step four is the final steps in the removal of the obstacles in us to the light that is in us, steps five, six, and seven. Please join me in this prayer of transformation. Spirit of the universe, make me a channel of your peace. That where there is hatred, I may bring love. That where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. That where there is discord, I may bring harmony. That where there is error, I may bring truth. That where there is doubt, I may bring faith. That where there is despair, I may bring hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light. That where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds, it is by forgiving that one is forgiven, it is by dying that one awakens to this life. Thanks everybody. I hope that was helpful and we'll be seeing you on our mutual journeys. <laughs>